Please turn in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. And of course, this is one of the more familiar accounts within the pages of Scripture. There aren't many people who know anything about the Bible that can't tell you about Peter and this point of Peter's denial of his Lord and of our Lord. And just something of a little bit of a side road regarding that. It's one of the certainly one of the valid validations of Scripture's credibility, is it not? Now, where else do you go and read of the great men of faith faltering as this man falters? <laughs> you know, most most groups will protect their leaders. They anything like this isn't found. But you go to the scriptures and you find those who are called to be the foundation of the New Testament church. And Peter is certainly a, a leader in that, one of the twelve. And here we see him with such a, such a failure. So we come this morning to come alongside our brother. Alongside Peter. And to realize that he's not so different from us. And so may the Lord take the truths of this study this morning and apply them to our hearts. We're looking at verses 54 through 62, Luke chapter 22. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together. Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl and John's gospel tells us it was the girl who actually opened the gate, sat by the gate to, to admit him into the courtyard here. The servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Look can do many things, can't it? We even have the expression, if looks could kill, I'd be dead. (laughs) You ever had one of those? (laughs) Looks can show and communicate great disdain. Look can also show affection, can't it? Now, you know the, the eyes of two new lovers who gaze into the eyes of one another. And you can see it too, just kind of watching. That there is love communicated one to the other. It's interesting in our text here that all three of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
When they speak of Peter in this account, they all three use that phrase that Peter followed or was following at a distance. So all three of them use that in verse 54 of our text here. And certainly that's there to indicate a geographical distance. There was there he was apart. He wasn't following too close to things, close enough to see what was going to go on. But perhaps there is more to be indicated than one's geographical presence or nearness. It's a distance geographically that reveals to us also a distance of the heart. A distance of the heart from, in Peter's case, God Himself in Jesus Christ. A spiritual distance that actually is proven and confirmed by Peter's later action, which we read of here, and that is his own denial of Jesus Christ. Such a distance of heart which sadly... We're all able to identify, aren't we? That any honest Christian follower of Christ who is willing to undertake that genuine heart evaluation, you know, we've got to come away with what we see here in Peter's experience and what's so much of our own experience and we just got away with in the modern day vernacular, been there, done that, right? Well, we know what it is to lose something of the freshness and the vitality of our Christian walk. And the sense of real communion and genuine fellowship with God is lost. And I'm not saying that we abandon everything. I'm not saying that we don't read our Bibles. I'm not saying that we don't pray. I'm saying that we do these things, but there is no life. There is no vitality. There is no sense of truly communing with God in these things. We know that, don't we? That we can get to such a place in our spiritual lives that we have a spirit of indifference to all spirituality. That we may or we may not pray. That we may or we may not take up the word of God. And a spirit of indifference to God himself. I may Or I may not seek the face of my God today. Denial of knowing Jesus seems all too real to our experience, and sad to say, many times it's of no great concern. That's where we find Peter. That's where Peter finds himself here. Ready to deny. Knowing his Lord. But thankfully he's. He's brought out of this. Spiritual slumber. Or again the modern day vernacular. He's brought out of this 
spiritual funk. <laughs> Wake up. What's wrong? Well, what is it here that turns the tide? Well, we see where things begin to change in verse 61. Where there is a meeting of the eyes. That the Lord turned, verse 61, the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. And the assumption here is, and I think it's the only thing that makes Jesus looking at Peter really important. The assumption here is, Peter was looking at Jesus. So there was a meeting of the eyes. That look of Jesus toward Peter doesn't accomplish what it accomplishes here if Peter doesn't see it. But Peter looks. He sees Jesus being brought out evidently from this initial trial that he's gone through before his members of the Sanhedrin and being brought out through this courtyard in a portion where, where Peter is and being carried to a place for safekeeping. And in those moments, at that time, Peter has just for the third time denied owning him as Lord. And you have to wonder if on this last occasion if Jesus may not have heard it himself. And by that point, according to Mark's Gospel, he's not only denying it, he's denying it vehemently with cursing. You've got to wonder, did Jesus not even hear the tail end of that? And then there's a commotion and Peter looks up and here they come. And there is Jesus being, being led by the temple police. And Jesus looks at him. Peter turned to see Jesus, to see Jesus looking at him. I hope that there are none here in this gathering who are experiencing such a sense of distance from God. I hope that's the case. But for any of those who may be, or for the ones of us who in reality have and figure sometime will be in such a place, there is hope. There is hope. And today, I just want us to see, to look at this text from the standpoint of seeing what Peter has done and what we can do. And that is where, once again, we set our spiritual gaze toward Christ. That's what happened. Peter looked toward Christ. And things began to change. That's where hope is found. And likewise for us, as our spiritual gaze is set toward Jesus Christ, to rest assured, He is looking back toward you, toward us as His people. He has, after all, already bought us with the price of His life. He's not going to let us walk out of this thing easily. In fact, at all. And looking toward Jesus. Looking and seeing Jesus. What did Peter see? And what will we see? What do we see as our gaze is set afresh toward Jesus Christ? First of all, when we turn toward Christ, we see the gravity of our sinful choices. 
we see just how bad, how serious sin really is. One look at Jesus and Jesus looked upon him and it brought to mind, according to the scripture, verse 61, it brought to mind the word of the Lord. Verse 61, Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. It only been hours earlier. We're not far removed from that. Hours earlier. Peter had said in verse 33 of this chapter, I am ready to go to prison and to death. And Mark's account again. Possibly from Peter himself. Where it records that Peter said, though all may fall away, I will not. And he kept saying when Jesus told him this is what's going to happen. He kept saying insistently, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. See, Peter's prior mistakes, his prior errors, and we've considered this even as we've as we have traveled through Luke's gospel here. We've seen already that he has a a foolish self-confidence, so confident of himself, so confident of his own capacity to stand firm, so much so that he's daring to refute the words of Christ. Christ says, this is what you will do. Peter says it will not happen. That is foolish self-confidence. That you dare to speak against the words of your God. But Peter's caught up in this thing. No way, Lord. No way. We've come with you, with you this far, going to the end. If I have to die, and if everybody else leaves, I'll have my sword and stand with you. Though all deny you, I will not. Foolish self-confidence that he has, but also the sin of prayerlessness. I was reminded yesterday, yesterday Beth and I went to Greenville, South Carolina for the memorial service for Joseph Carroll, the founder of the Evangelical Institute there. I went to school there back in the early 80s for a couple of years. And Mr. Carroll, of course, was there, but some of the staff that's still there were... We're speaking of, of him and just a couple of the speakers just brought out how in their interactions with Joseph Carroll that he had just made very clear to them about the sin of prayerlessness. And one of them, uh, Raleigh Reasoner, who, who actually worked with Bruce and Laura Harris there in Japan. Now he's retired in his 80s, late 80s, I imagine. A dear man, just keeps going on for the Lord. But he preached yesterday. And... Uh, he said that when he was a young guy in Japan and Mr. Carroll came there and he was, Mr. Raleigh Reason was there in Japan as a missionary, had been there for some time, you know, fired up, but doesn't know anything. And said so Mr. Carroll came there from Australia, had been a, he had been a, an officer in the Australian army and he came to Japan and he talked with Roland Reasoner. At this point, Roland was in his, in his mid twenties. 
And he told Rollin Reason, he said, that your sin of prayerlessness is a sign of your pride. See, we need to get a hold of that, don't we? When we don't pray, we're doing more than just robbing ourselves. We are sinning against God. Not to pray, not to be a people of prayer is sin. And there's the sin of, of Peter. He's laid the groundwork when Jesus says, pray so that you do not fall into temptation. Peter chooses to sleep. Verses 37 and 40 of this chapter. The consequences then are here. You've got a foolish self-confidence. You're prayerless. and sleeping when you ought to be praying. Here's the consequence of that. A threefold denial. Three times. Three times to deny that he knows Jesus Christ. The first occasion to an inconsequential servant girl who keeps the gate to the courtyard. And probably speaking with a sense of, I know something y'all don't know. This guy is one of, the, one of the disciples. Because John, the disciple that knew the priest, John was admitted into the courtyard. And he went on behalf of Peter, John tells us, to, to have Peter admitted to this courtyard. And probably John told the servant girl, this is one of the Jesus' disciples. And so she has a, something of a, perhaps a spirit of, I can know something you don't know. Guess what? This is one of his disciples. Maybe goes, and as it recorded here, aren't you one of his disciples? Where everyone else can hear. Just a little servant girl. And Peter denies. But also, in this threefold denial, there's ample opportunity to regroup. Verse 59 shows us here. He's denied the Lord once, but after about an hour had passed. Hey, there's time to get your act back together here. All right. I didn't, that caught me blindsided. I wasn't ready for that. That's one. No more. An opportunity to get yourself regrouped for the next attack. And it doesn't happen. And then... A threefold denial that culminates in what Mark's gospel records for us. Mark chapter 14, verse 71. A denial with curses and swearing. If his speech had betrayed him before that he was a Galilean, it betrayed him now that he was a follower of Christ. No one who follows Christ speaks like this. Peter, whose descent was from such a place of honor, wasn't it? Peter so often took the, the place of spokesman for the disciples. Peter was one of the three, Peter, James, and John, that was part of the inner circle of Jesus. It was Peter who went with Jesus and James and John to the Mount of Transfiguration and there saw Jesus in His glory. Meeting with Moses and Elijah. It was Peter with James and John who was brought 
A little bit further than the disciples when they entered the garden of Gethsemane as Jesus brought these three with him a little bit further. And then he left them and went just a stone's throw away and he prayed alone. But Peter and James and John likely in within earshot of Jesus praying in the garden until they fell asleep. It was Peter who speaks of and identifies Jesus as Christ, the Son of God, bride divine revelation, according to Matthew 16, verses 13 and following. Jesus says, Peter, these things have not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. You've not come to make a brilliant deduction on your own, Peter. God has revealed to you who I am. Peter made that great confession. It was Peter who, on one occasion, when all who heard the words of Christ and they were walking away from him, and Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Will you not go? Are you going to leave as well? And Peter there says, Where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of life. There is no place else to go. Peter knew more. He experienced more. He claimed more. Yet he fell. Didn't he? How grave Peter's sin. Such heights of knowledge and experience and communion. But the natural result of a path of poor choices of this foolish self-confidence and of prayerlessness in his life. And he falls on his face. So how grave our sins. What has God revealed to you of who Jesus Christ is? What do you know of who Christ is? Have you not tasted so much of the goodness of God in your own experience? You know so much of His glory. And yet we are so quick to gravitate toward this self-confidence that is demonstrated by a life of prayerlessness. And it results in a cold indifference to God and Christ and Christianity. So when we look at the heights from which Peter fell, all of us could say, I have fallen likewise on so many occasions when I have denied knowing my Savior because I have chosen my sin. Do you know the gravity of today's Seemingly insignificant minor sins. No, Peter never would have thought that his boast back there to Jesus would lead where it led to. Peter never would have thought that a prayerless moment in the garden would lead where it led to. What are the sins today that we look at and that we're ready to excuse, we're ready to minimize because we don't know what it's going to lead to? We fail to consider that sin begets sin. 
So we become careless in our attitudes and we let attitudes grow and fester in our mind until they're expressed by a spirit of disdain or unkindness towards someone. We'll let our thought life run loose and free. Let it go around that we, we know is dishonoring to God because we say, well, what's the big deal? It's just my thought life. Who knows? God knows, and eventually the world will know if you keep following it. And we become careless in guarding our spiritual disciplines. Yes, I will pray today. Oh, I may not pray. doesn't make big difference. Oh, I may spend time in the Word of God today. Or I may not. We become careless in guarding these things that God has given to us to preserve us against falling as Peter did. And we don't care. And we think, what difference does it make if I ignore time with God today? And the answer to that question is, you don't know what difference it will make down the road. To consider the gravity of the seemingly insignificant and harmless sins of today. And consequently, our spiritual passion has cooled. And carnal desires began to drive us. You know that story, don't you? Folks, it is only as we set our spiritual gaze upon Jesus Christ anew that we see sin as we ought to see sin. That we see the gravity of our sin because we see the glory of our Savior. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Amen? To see the gravity of our sinful choices. Secondly, as we set our gaze upon Christ, we see the greatness of our Savior's compassion. There's no doubt that that look from Jesus sent a very clear message to Peter. Peter may have been surprised at his failure, but Jesus was not. And so it says in the text here that as the Lord turned and looked at Peter, the first thing that happened was that Peter remembered. He was reminded of the word of the Lord. It wasn't a look of, I told you so. But certainly it was a look that communicated, I knew, Peter. I knew. Jesus was not surprised. And here is Peter denying his Lord with perhaps even a greater insistence and a forcefulness than he had set forth when he said, I will not deny you. And now with that intensity and the forcefulness, with cursing, I don't know the man. I don't know him. And he hears the rooster crow. 
And he looks and he sees Jesus being led from one place to another. Perhaps visible to his eyes because we know already that Jesus already began to experience some of the physical abuse in this first hearing. Perhaps already bearing some of the marks of the abuse where Peter could see it as he walked from one place to another. Jesus looked at Peter and the message was clear. There was no scorn here. There was no disgust. It was a look of love. It was a look of love because that's what Jesus' passion, that's what Jesus' suffering was all about, wasn't it? Everything that Jesus was experiencing at the hands of evil men was because of his love for his people. But also a look of compassion. He knows Peter's weakness. And he knows particularly his present failure. He knows exactly what has transpired in these, in these last moments of Peter. And again, perhaps for her, this last moment of raging. And it's a look of forgiveness. Because when Jesus said that Peter was going to deny him, he also says, back in verse 32 of this chapter, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail when once you have turned again. There's forgiveness in that look. Peter, You're still mine. I am holding you. Who has compassion like our Lord Jesus? How do you describe the compassion of our Lord toward us? He knows our frame. He knows the the propensity of our hearts. That we are those, as again we sing, so prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. And He shows compassion to His people like you have never known from anyone else. So as we set our gaze anew toward our Savior, you come and you see His compassion. That you come to Jesus, you don't see the look of of scorn and disgust. You see the look of love and compassion and forgiveness. His love is unfailing, unwavering toward His children. His mercies are new every morning. His compassion is great beyond knowing. What would it take? What sin would it take to be beyond the reach of His compassion? And the reality is we can rest assured no one has yet traveled to that place because no such place exists for the child of God. Great are His compassions. Because we can look and see the gravity of our sin. It's good that we can also look and see the compassions of our Lord, right? 
that coming to Christ enables us to see and to acknowledge our sin in all of its vileness, all of its blackness. We have to whitewash this thing, say it for what it is, and all of its ugliness, and plead for the mercies of God, the compassions of Christ that are more than abundant for us. How great our Savior's compassion. And finally, as we set our gaze anew toward Christ, to see the grace of our sincere contrition, Peter looked to Jesus, and he saw Jesus look. He remembered the words of Jesus. And then in verse 62, it says he went out and he wept bitterly. He went out and he wept bitterly. See, the mark of God's children, when Jesus is seen anew, when our gaze has been turned away, but we're brought back to consider our Lord, to see Jesus, to have our eyes set upon Him. The response in seeing Him anew, if you're a child of God, is always brokenness. There's no excuse to be made here for what He has done. Oh Lord, it was the wee hours of the morning. I just got out of it. No attempt to whitewash it. Make it any less than what it is. You see just the wonderful example there in, in Psalm 51. What's the degree to which he has sinned? He doesn't minimize it by saying, Well, Lord, it was just, these people weren't really that big, big of a deal. I've sinned against, what did he say? Against you, Lord, and you only have I sinned. Here's where we need to see our sin. It's against God. No attempt to whitewash it, to make it less than what it is. Nothing to do. I mean, don't we have our frantic reactions when you have in your experience, whether it be on a personal level, on a spiritual level. If I do something wrong, I want to do something right. Right? Let me, let me earn my way back. Let me show or do penance. Can't do that. There's only one way back. It's called repentance. That's it. Because there is no good to undo the, the evil. And it doesn't just go away. You're not going to do anything, nothing to do but to come in repentance. And what would bring a man who has been so set in his failure to deny the Lord not once, but three times to suddenly be completely turned around and to weep bitterly for what he's done? Why is he not consumed to go on more and more in sin? It's because of this. It's because of the grace. The grace, God's grace of sincere contrition and brokenness, repentance. Robert Murray McShane 
one of his prayers, save me from this pernicious habit of always sinning and repenting. And I certainly appreciate the spirit of that. But if I'm sinning, may I also be repenting? May I repent in proportion to my sinning? And I know McShane's heart was save me from the sinning, so I need not repent. <laughs> And that's a good prayer. But sin is destructive, isn't it? And a spirit of impenitence, a refusal to repent, only magnifies the damage. It only adds to it. So if I sin... May I be granted the grace of repentance. At such a time of sin and failure, we see just how wicked our hearts can be. God, grant me grace. That our prayer be along the lines of what McShane has offered. Oh Lord, as long as you leave me in this state where sin is a possibility, and that is as long as we are alive in these bodies on this earth until we die or Christ returns. As long as you leave me in a state where sin is a possibility and a reality, then continue to grant the grace of sincere contrition repentance. Let us hate the cause of our need for repentance. Sin. But let us give thanks to God for the gift to us of genuine repentance. So as we set our gaze upon Christ, we see the grace of sincere contrition. I can look back at my own experience and say, Lord, it had not been for the grace of God, I would still be pursuing some of these things. But there's the grace of sincere contrition. Let me ask you today, brothers and sisters, friends. Is your gaze set upon Lord? Are you doing as exhorted by the writer of Hebrews? Looking unto Jesus. Looking to Christ. Is your, are your eyes, are your focus, is your gaze set upon Jesus Christ? Does it need to be Renewed. I think we would all say it's something that needs to be renewed at least daily. Oftentimes more than that, isn't it? To be reminded, I'm Christ. Christ is my life. And as Christ is set before us, as we gaze upon Him, knowing that He has seen us, and that we can see these things with Him, we see the gravity of our sin, and we see the greatness of His compassion, and we see the grace of that contrition that He's worked in our hearts. So, Lord, turn our hearts, turn our eyes toward you anew and afresh today. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
that you are a God of great compassion and grace. We confess, O Lord, that we have received abundantly of that. And even as we consider Peter, our brother, and we say, Lord, we're capable of much the same and much worse. Given the opportunity, given the circumstances, just like Peter. Father, we thank you that you have given to us such a model of, of godly men who had such failures. As a reminder to us that certainly sin is not final. But also you've given those to us that we see the greatness of your compassion and your grace. And we thank you for your work in our hearts. Lord, take the truths that we've considered today. Make application to each of us today as is, as is appropriate and, a fit, and fitting for where we are in our personal lives and experience. And Lord, I ask that you would help today that Christ would be ever set before us. He's the, the one that we pursue. He is the one for whom we live. He is our all in all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.